Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing A Holiday by Gaslight by Mimi Matthew. This was published in 2018 and we did download this for free, but I don't believe it's still free on the Kindle store. Yes, we were going to say download this because it's free, check it out, but we think that that, that offer is no longer around. And we only know this because we made our book club read this, and one of them told us she paid for it. Um, <laughs> Sorry. So, taking a page out of the uh, Lit Wallflowers book, the drink this evening is My Mulled Wine, which is mostly whiskey. <laughs> Yay! It was really good, though. And also uh, Perrier, which is what I'm drinking, because I have to drive home. She stopped drinking My Mulled Wine, you guys, which was but safety I did, first. I did start drinking it earlier this evening. It's very good. It is very good. I will share the recipe if anyone requests it through our Plotris account, which Meg manages. Request us any way you want. If you want to leave a comment proving that you heard this, or if you want to send an email to plotrists at gmail.com, we would be very happy to respond. Uh, back to this book lane. I'm going to start out with the book jacket. I think that's a good place. A Courtship of Convenience. Sophie Apperset is quite willing to marry outside of her class to ensure the survival of her family. But the darkly handsome Mr. Edward Sharp is no run-of-the-mill London merchant. He's grim and silent, a man of little emotion, or perhaps no emotion at all. After two months of courtship, she's ready to put an end to things. A last chance for love. But severing ties with her taciturn suitor isn't as straightforward as Sophie envisioned. Her parents are outraged. And then there's Charles Darwin, Prince Albert, and that dreaded gaslight. What's the girl to do except invite Mr. Sharp to Apperset House for Christmas and give him one last chance to win her? Only this time, there'll be no fo false formality. This time, they'll get to know each other for who they really are. I mean, it was fine. I don't know. I wasn't thrilled by this book jacket, I'm going to be honest. Okay, this is a relatively PG book. Yes. And this is a similarly PG jacket. I mean, yeah. But I do think the quiet understanding they come to over the course of this book that is relatively entertaining yeah. is not properly represented here. No, I... I I like Mimi Matthews for a change. So Mimi Matthews writes tradition, traditional regencies, but set in the Victorian era. <laughs> I mean, how else do you describe it, right? She basically, she, she writes love stories with no steam. And she sets them most of the time in the Victorian era. Sure. I would say traditional Victorians. Okay, but that's not a thing. But that's okay, though. Is it not a thing? Not in the romance world. I think I'm broken because Elizabeth Peters was Victorian. Yeah. I get it. Did you write a book jacket? I mean, did you write a book summary? I absolutely did not write a book jacket. Uh, so this week we generated, or this episode, we generated a random number between 1 and 25 to use as our word count for our own descriptions because this is a novella. And uh, we're using the number of 11 this episode. So my summary, douchebag dad demands daughter rethink ditching disappointing dude. Add D for dick. 
I mean, it would be nice if there had been a little bit of added D. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. But I didn't hate it, though. Right. All right, here's mine. All the Victoriana you can handle, plus a little chase romance. Meg contrasted my Ds. <laughs> I just honestly, Meg can attest to this because she was here when I was drafting this. I was really committed to the D. She was very committed to the D, yep. <laughs> hey, <Okay>. yo. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> so, um, what are the big tropes in this book? She is from an aristocratic family. Her father's a baronet, but they are impoverished, whereas Ned is a rich businessman. So, the major trope is this class difference trope. We see it a lot. In romance, I mean, I think the biggest one that comes to mind is it happened one summer. Yeah, and, and the setting is also a trope. Uh, it's the Christmas house party. Yes. Obviously, a house party is a trope ubiquitous throughout the romance novel genre, the Christmas house party, particularly the, the Christmas novella genre. Mm-hmm. And then for some smaller tropes, there is just a lot of mistletoe. Okay, the first time you bust it out, I melted. It's so great. I really like it. It was so cute. Um, she's a little bit anything for my sister. Yeah, she, a little bit. It's 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 more like anything for my family. Right. The benefits to the little sister are just sort of implicit in the rest of the decision making. She has two parents. Yeah. I'm sure we'll discuss them both at length later. We will. Um, but but she definitely does look out for her little sister, even if she's not self-sacrificing to that point. Yeah. And there is a library makeout. Library embrace. Rendezvous? Rendezvous. A library conversation that leads to intimacy. It's just, there's so many moments. Yeah, yeah. I I liked it. I liked it. This is not quite... It's not at all Sunshine Grump. No. He's the Grump, though. Yeah, but she's not Sunshine. But there is that element of conversing on different levels. Right. And most of it's driven by that class difference that Meg mentioned earlier. But he's trying to behave in a way that is acceptable for her lot. Yeah. And she's really put off by what she views as distant behavior. I mean, I was very charmed by that conflict. I was too. But I I think we haven't quite come up with a pithy title for it. But it is recurring. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's the man who wants to live up. He wants to court her the right way, but by doing it, Puts her off. Yes. And, and if you guys have a pithy suggestion. We're you open. have our contact information. We're open because we, we haven't come up with a good one for this. I mean, honestly, I think I peeked at a waltz in a garden bundle and I'm just never coming down. That doesn't happen never. in this book. No. No. All right. So how good was this book? I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So I think we've talked about last year, probably not this year. I'm a real sucker for a Hallmark Christmas movie, Netflix made for TV Christmas movie. This book struck all those chords for me, but honestly was a little less hokey, which I say is a compliment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I would say that Mimi, so I like reading Mimi Matthews' books. She's not... She's not, like, my number one go-to author, probably because she doesn't write any steam. 
but her writing is good, her plots are nice, her characters are enjoyable. She has a lot of elements that I really like. I will say that just about every book she writes is like an homage to her favorite Victorian novelists. And in this one, she explicitly says it's an homage to North and South, which is very sweet. It is. And she doesn't need many pages to execute that. No. No. It's, it's well done. It is. So, I like it. I think this, this novella is really well put together. I enjoyed a lot of it. From the parallel conflict with her sister and his business partner, to the moments that occurred in the kitchen or the staff quarters. Mm -hmm. I think she was able to get a lot of high-impact moments yeah. that romance readers will recognize condensed into a very brief story. Yeah, ab absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, we have... His mother comes in, and at first you're like, oh, she's going to like it because she got invited to this house party. And it turns out she's extremely disapproving. And then it turns out part of the reason she's disapproving, other than sort of valuing industriousness, which she views as absent from the aristocracy, is that one of his friends let slip that this girl rejected him once. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes, instead of this wider commentary on social stature, this very personal story about a mom being pissed off her son was looked over. Yeah, it's, I mean, it just works. It, it, it just really, really did. I, okay, we've discussed before that I love Hallmark Christmas movies. Yep. So we are currently recording this on December 18th. So I'm peak in season of, like, give me the saccharine. And I'm willing to look past certain plot elements or a lack of smut. I don't know that if, if we were talking about this on January 5th, I feel the same way. Right. But tonight, I'm very open to what this is selling. Yeah, and it has, it has the Hallmark moments, but they're historical Hallmark moments. So, yes. like, the let's go out and gather greenery. The, oh, I just happened to have some mistletoe in my pocket. The, oh, you're in the attic trying to find the Christmas decorations. And it's the garland, so not the first chest we opened. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, just a lot of historical Christmas goodness. The attic only has a ladder. Let me help you carry that. <laughs> okay, let's talk about, I don't think it's a downside of the book, just some tough parts, like Southeast family. Yeah, so as we mentioned, her parents ain't great, and her no. sister is kind of not great. So they're, they're impoverished landed gentry. Right, and they're impoverished because her father has squandered all of their money on improvements in this house. I thought that was a really interesting commentary that ultimately would have been better served in a full novel. Yeah. Because what her father is squandering their dowries and the money they need to live doing is installing plumbing right getting gas lamps creating local stations to provide that electric service things that with the knowledge of a 21st century reader you know are him seeing the times to come but that doesn't change the fact that he didn't have the money to do it in the moment right and it, well it's interesting too because some things yes he's seeing the future like the plumbing 
Other things, not so much, like having a gas works on the property. Like we all know that's going to be obsolete in 70 years. 70, but that's a long time. So her father is a visionary. And that leads to, sometimes short-sighted is used as a criticism, but he has no mindset for the present. Right. Well, and it's To also, his daughter's detriment. To his daughter's detriment. And they, they, there is a plot point. So Matthews makes a, a point of saying that he didn't have an heir. Right. And so he's really trying to make this house his legacy. So that, yeah, in 100 years, people will see this house and be like, wow, who made this the estate that it is? Which is interesting because a son born of a son of a son of a son in 100 years would not be attributed to him in the same way. Who knows? It's it's interesting. It is. The commentary was interesting, but the end result was her parents sucked. Her father and his myopia. And right. her mother and her defense of her father's behavior. I think that was the hardest part for me, was because her mother was presented as a relatively sympathetic figure, and yet... She's really just enabling the father's behavior. And I realize, yes, this is a commentary on the times as well. Like, no, her mother did not have the power to gain say the father. And her mother was making the best of a bad situation, which right. we are, especially as Americans, meant to admire. And then, but then she's making the best of a bad situation, yes. But then she's forcing her daughters to do the same thing. So her daughter... This, that was the hardest part for me in the book. I mean, yes. It was, was mostly just Sophie. It was it was the disconnect between the way the parents treated Sophie and Emily. Right. Uh, from what we could tell on the virtue of the virtues of practicality and recognition of circumstance and beauty alone. Yeah. Sophie was practical. She knew the family needed help. And she was less pretty. And therefore... They could force her to marry for money well, they while could, hoping the sister married for status. They could force her to marry for money, and they could also spend her dowry because they didn't expect her. It was just this weird, this dual expectation of her. Yeah. First, we're going to spend her dowry so she won't be able to attract a man of her own station. And then we're going to award her like a prize to the man who can pay enough to yeah. get her. So it's just this... Anyway. It was deliberate. I mean, yes. It, was it wasn't, I'm not saying this was an oversight. No. But it, it was troubling, especially in a Christmas novella. Well, and I think what's tough about it, especially as the romance readers that we are, who read about a character who basically accepted this fate for herself. Yes. So I think, I think having shitty parents... Is a common enough theme in historical romance. The child accepting those shitty parents and accepting, you know, the consequences of the parents' actions and not really seeking to change that is a little more troubling for me. And I think in the first chapter, so barely a spoiler, Sophie choosing to to reject Ned's suit on the basis of them just not having enough in common or getting along was her rejection of accepting fault for her parents' failures. Right. But then we're reading a romance, so the fact that she does end up with him is like, okay, I guess she... It, it's tough. Yep. 
Um, all right. I think we've already talked about, I think that covers any trigger warnings, right? Are there, is there anything else? I don't think so. I don't think so either. We already talked about this, but was this book sexy? Not super. So there's a couple of really hot makeouts. The whole premise of this book is she breaks up with him in chapter one because they're not super well suited. There's reasons that they end up reconnecting and reconsidering that viewpoint. And he makes the determination that his behavior was isolating. Mm -hmm. So he's going to attempt to lure her more seductively rather than properly. And those moments are fun and I kind of think they were. They definitely worked for me. I mean, I definitely thought they were sexy. I thought the kisses were very nice. Like, I was convinced that they were attracted to each other. I liked them. I know that I complained when we talked about Great Scott about how the sex scene felt kind of wedged in there. And I was almost just as happy with their little snuggling on the cart. This book is basically what that was. Right? Some snuggling on a sleigh ride, a kiss under the trees, a kiss in the library, a little alcove makeout. And I do wish there was a little more. So, I don't know. Just call me Goldilocks. I want the book to be just right. Yeah, this did not... Again, we talk about my love of Hallmark Christmas movies. I often read Christmas novellas as a digestif to those if you will where I've, I've indulged in this very chaste mm -hmm. narrative of Christmas love and I want my romance novels novellas especially to be the like steamier closeout to that experience and this definitely didn't hit the heat meter I agree but how Christmassy was it Lane okay what's your candy cane rating three and a half Three and a half. You gave this one fewer than you gave whatever one we read last week. Yeah, the one with the goose. Yeah. So here's why. Again, the conflict of her needing to marry for money. Yeah. And him having money is not inherently Christmassy. That's true. So while all this goes down in the Christmas house party and they gather mistletoe and they gather decorations and they put up a Christmas tree and I recognize that three and a half is clearly better than halfway. It's true. The actual conflict and the actual resolution is not super Christmassy. I'm just very surprised because I thought this was the most Christmassy of all the Christmas No, the read. Christmas goose one was more Christmassy. A Christmas gone perfectly wrong. Yeah. I'm not saying I like this more than a Christmas gone perfectly wrong. If I'm, no offense to that book, but in terms of the objective level of Christmas alone, this is less. <laughs> Objectively, this had less Christmas. <laughs> I stand by that. <laughs> You're laughing at me, but like, I, I die on that hill. I'm just laughing at the word objectively, that's all. There is less Christmas in this book than that book, objectively. Okay. <laughs> okay. I vouch to your superior Christmas sense. Thank you. And thank you so much for listening. Happy holidays! <laughs>